Hello, and welcome to Growing in Leadership, a podcast to help you make a difference in your church. We are designed uh, first and foremost for Woodland Park Baptist Church, but if you're listening in, uh, we hope that you can be encouraged and blessed uh, in your church ministry context as well. It's uh, my privilege to have as our guest today, uh, Dr. Scott Hanbury, pastor of Hardy Street Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. And uh, so, Scott, the uh, first thing I would just ask you, uh, how many times have you had lunch at Murky Waters Barbecue Restaurant in the last 30 days? Hey, Tim, it's great to see you and great to be with you. And uh, that is such a painful question. Murky Waters has become sort of like our caf uh, cafeteria for our staff. It's right across the street. And it I I'm embarrassed to tell you how many times I've been over there. So Man. we love it. Uh, our son went to school at William Carey and uh, USM, and so we'd go up there to visit. Uh, a lot of times, uh, we just made an excuse to go uh, to go have lunch at Murky Water, so a good, good place. Uh, Scott, Scott, you and I were at seminary together. Uh, we took a bunch of classes together. Uh, I remember that we took a sermon delivery uh, class together, and I don't remember what your experience was at the time, but those were some of the very first times that I ever opened up a Bible and tried to speak the, the Word of God, and I remember those classes well. I had preached a little bit before then, but there is something so intimidating about being rated like that and knowing that you're going to be judged at that level. It's uh, it's pretty humbling for sure. Yeah, uh, but they were good times and uh, and appreciate your friendship and uh, your spending time with us today. What I want to do is I want to hear a little bit about uh, Hardy Street Baptist Church. Uh, Scott, you grew up in Hattiesburg, didn't you? I did. I did. So coming back was not on the radar. Uh, and it's a different place post Katrina and obviously removed from a couple of decades, but uh, really, really exciting to be back in my own hometown. Yeah, that's a that's quite an experience. What's the benefits and the hard what's the challenges of being in your own hometown? Yeah, it's a great question. We were gone for 25 years, uh, leaving here, graduating from the University of Southern Mississippi, and then going to New Orleans and planting churches in the Pacific Northwest and being in other places. Coming back, I walked in with a little bit of relational credit that I didn't earn, uh, just simply kind of our family name. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. A lot of the people that I went to high school with, their parents are in this church. Uh, Temple Baptist Church was one of the main yeah, state yeah, yeah. churches, and, and we are the original campus of Temple. We'll, we can kind of talk about uh, that. Okay. But uh, that was really a, a unique thing uh, that was good, uh, was that we just knew people. We had relational connections. On the flip side, I had to preach my first sermon, uh, started out with a disclaimer. You know, I said, if you were in the Hattiesburg Public School Systems as a teacher <laughs> in 1987, I'm sorry. <laughs> you will too. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what did, when, when you arrived on your first day as pastor of Hardy Street Baptist Church, what were they already doing really, really well? What, what's built into the DNA of that church? That's a great question. I, Hardy Street was struggling in some ways. I have to start there because uh, of an identity crisis. It was the church formerly known as Temple. And uh, so that that was a struggle. We are right in the heart of Hattiesburg. Uh, most of the city has moved westward. And this is really cool. On the very first day that I got here, it was a, a Friday, October the 1st, and we fed the Hattiesburg High football team that night. And that was really special for me because that's my alma mater. Okay. Uh, so they were doing some things really, really well there in just community engagement, connecting with the school uh, and other local elementary schools. 
And that really kept the church going through that identity time was that missions and, and the community engagement was important to them. All right. So when you arrived there on October 1st and you began to see the nature and the the status of the church, uh, what is something that you quickly became committed that you wanted to make a strength in the life of the church? Absolutely. It was really in engaging at a higher level, the community. And so we've tried our our best to really embody that as part of our missional statement that we're reaching and making disciples among our neighbors, the nations and the next generation. Uh, it was an aging congregation. So we knew we wanted to reach younger families. Well, there are younger families all around us being kind of downtown. Uh, this area is having a revitalization. So the young families moving back into an area where housing is a little more affordable and they're flipping houses. So we just started engaging the community with block parties. We would try our best to do door-to-door -door evangelism, just meeting our neighbors, um, encouraging them uh, to come. We live um, and work right next to the Hattiesburg Zoo. And so we moved our vacation Bible school immediately to the camper park that's behind the zoo. Uh, we said, that, you know, so many people that live in this area would never come to this great big monolithic building, but they would meet us in the park because they're already there. And wow. so we, we've got to get outside the walls. And that has been such a neat partnership uh, with the zoo. Um, they share our parking lot. And so we give away zoo passes to first-time guests every week. They they give them to <laughs> it. It was just a neat thing, but it really has solidified the mindset uh, in our people that we want to love on our neighbors and love them well. So you have a great large campus, but one of the first strategic things that you did is that we have to move off campus, even though we have this great campus. Absolutely. You know, the, the campus was an albatross at some level because it, one, it's intimidating. And then two, we've just got so much maintenance and upkeep. So we systematically started fixing roof leaks and those kinds of things. And then at the same time, just building a relationship with the people in the community. Um, block parties on our back lawn and in our parking lot and those kind of things. Um, we're doing a food truck festival this year, this summer, and just connecting with people at a high level. So when you introduced the idea of let's take Vacation Bible School away from our campus, away from our church, away from where we, we know the resources and the way that we have our stuff, did did you have some pushback? Was there some difficulty? Where, where were the sticking points in that process? Great question. Uh, there was pushback, but it really wasn't so much over the idea. Our people were pretty open. There, there's a missional heartbeat here. The, the pushback came just from the logistics. Instead of decorating a room and leaving it all week, now we've got to set up and tear down every single day. So it took additional volunteers. Yeah. Uh, just took a different mindset. Um, but I think quickly they saw we don't have to do all of the decorations that we would do in the past. And we can really <laughs> some lessons, the games and the kids. So it was good. So are you doing it in the park again this year? We actually are not. This is the first time in my eight years that we've okay. moved. And we feel like we've kind of hit a tipping point that we can do that. Uh, again, we've tacked onto it on that Friday night. We're going to do the Family Fun Festival. And so we'll have food trucks and games and bands and all kinds of fun things uh, and really make it a, a community event. Hattiesburg would be considered to be part of the Bible Belt, a traditional, uh, lots of Baptist churches, Baptist heritage in, in Hattiesburg. How does your time 
doing ministry in a part of the country that is not the Bible Belt, not a Baptist stronghold. How does that color how you do ministry in a traditional place like Hattiesburg? You know, Tim, when we planted a church in the mountains of North Idaho, um, I, I felt like I was cheating our people every single week because I was preaching at such a base level. You, you can't say, hey, you remember the story of Abraham because they've never heard of him. Yeah. And really helped me with a missional mindset. And coming back here, while we are in the buckle of the Bible Belt, that is rapidly changing. Um, we have the University of Southern Mississippi a mile away, uh, and William Carey's two miles. Well, there are 100 nations represented between those two campuses. And so there are a lot of competing worldviews. And so having a different kind of a focus, having a perspective of, of recognizing that people aren't starting with that same base knowledge of the Bible, um, there, there are just tons of people that don't know the Lord or they're not churched. And uh, if the statistics hold true, Mississippi is somewhere around 67, 68% unchurched. And as the most churched state in all of the nation, uh, it's pretty sobering. We got yeah. a lot of work. I think sometimes because we're all in church on Sunday mornings, we lose track of how much of the population isn't. Uh, and, and sometimes I'll have something that I have to leave church on Sunday morning and I'm driving around and I'm like, man, what is going on? There's, there's so many things happening, but I'm, yeah. you know, for 30 years now, I've never been outside on a Sunday morning. Uh, I'm right here. And this is the world that I see. And there's this larger, uh, world. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, and this is a little bit of the conversation we're already at is what are some of the things that Hardy street does that's really traditional. I mean, you you just kind of lean in and say, we're not reinventing the wheel. What are some of the traditional things that Hardy Street does? Sure. One of the things that we do um, is just the, the tradition of our worship style. We, we have stayed... Uh, on the conservative end of that spectrum, if you will, it, it's still more of a blend, but we've tried to focus on substance more than style and, and just own that. Um, I had been here two weeks and in the cover of darkness, I went through the sanctuary and took out all the hymnals. Now you would say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't sound very traditional. Well, they still had Temple Baptist Church printed on them. And I said, if we're, we, we've got an identity crisis here already. Let's. <laughs> so we ordered hymnals. Uh, week two, and some people mm -hmm. rose up and called me blessed, and some people rose up and called me yeah. crazy. Yeah. But, and, and somebody at Lifeway said, you know, wait a minute, we have an order for hymnals. And, uh, that, <laughs> but but we, we just embraced the fact that this is a church that has had a longstanding history of just being stayed by the stuff, middle of the road, conservative, yeah. and, and the tradition of the feel has been really cool. Uh, we've done a lot of cutting edge kinds of things, if you will, in other areas, but we've just maintained this real steady, stable, traditional feel in worship. And I think that's part of what I want to talk about is that every church has parts of their church life that is traditional. Uh, no matter what church you go to, there are some things that that church that does is just rock solid traditional stuff. And in every church that has any life in it, it has some things that are non-traditional or creative or fresh ideas. Um, so I'll, the next question, and we've talked a little bit about it with Vacation Bible School, but what are some of the, the most non-traditional things uh, that Hardy Street does? Sure. 
one of them was just a schedule change. Uh, this is an aging church when I got here. And so they decided that Sunday night services were just not a good fit for here simply because there were so many people that didn't drive at night. Well, we moved that to Wednesday morning and we have a Wednesday morning senior adult Bible study uh, that is one of the most vibrant parts of our church. Uh, they they didn't feel cast aside. They didn't feel neglected. Yeah, yeah. We've embraced it. And so it, it's called the Joy Club. And that Joy Club is just uh, such a vital part of our church. But from there, we've used it as a launching pad for missions. Um, we, we said, look, this isn't a place where you come to be you know, coddled and doted on. We want you engaged in serving and praying. And so they do a lot of our homebound ministry. Uh, they go to a lot of the assisted living places. Uh, and, and that's not staff driven. That's a lay driven thing. And uh, they'll do birthday parties in those places and sing. And I, that doesn't sound like it's, you know, just uh, 21st century cutting edge, but it really is uh, got a unique ethos to it. The yeah. people, they've embraced it. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. Non-traditional means that we we find a different way to do the same purpose, and so it can come uh, a lot of different ways. Uh, I want to walk through, if we can, uh, the process for spiritual development. Uh, so, how how do you find that to 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 move somebody from disconnected spiritually, whether that's disconnected from Christ or disconnected from church, to move them through one at some point? Not only are they thriving spiritually, but they're providing leadership and service. And so there, there's a journey from disconnected to, to multiplying or however, whatever language you want to use. How does, how does Hardy Street do that? Do you find that there's a place that you're doing really well and that there's a gap someplace? Talk to me about that. So this is the place where our conversation takes a turn. I was hoping that you would give me those answers. <laughs> you had it all figured out. Um, now, I just finished um, at the beginning of the year. I do kind of a state of the church series and focus, and we've just preached through the steps of what we call the disciples path. And we know it's not as simple as going from A to, to B to C and making, you know, widgets. Um, I, people live in flux and there are different places in life, but we have, we've kind of identified six major stepping stones on the path, uh, from trusting Jesus that Mark 1 15, where Jesus said, repent and believe the kingdom is at hand and then being baptized and then connecting in community and then growing in your faith. And that's a big, big step because there's so many different things that are part of it and then serving and then living on mission. And when we get to the place where somebody is kind of self-identified in those areas, then we can help them to develop almost a personalized path. And uh, we use common tools. We've got uh, sort of similar language to help people with evangelism so that when we're talking about trusting Jesus, we use the three circles um, a lot. That's kind of the, the evangelism model that we use. And, and then from there, uh, we've just added some things around baptism where we're helping people to write out their story. And then we do baptism videos so that when we baptize someone, they actually give a profession of faith. You know, most of my pastoral life, I would look at someone and say, have you trusted Jesus? And they would look up scared to death, standing in water in front of a crowd of people. Yeah. And they'd say, yeah. and that's not much of a profession. But if we could sit down with them conversationally and they would finish that video, that interview by saying, my name is Tim and Jesus is the Lord of my life, man, that really has some weight to it. And so we've tried to be very intentional with those six steps. 
Um, the next step is connecting with community. So we've made a huge emphasis of Sunday school, trying to develop leaders and teachers and raise up apprentices. And we, it, it, again, traditional, it's kind of an old school model. We're, we're not doing cell groups. Yeah, yeah. Well, but in our Sunday school, we're trying to help people to develop a place where they understand, hey, I need to serve through this and do evangelism. And, and it really is the church organized to do ministry. You know, go ahead. No, no, no. This this is really good, and and I, I did see that on your on your website. Uh, our connections pastor, who's been with us for about six months, um, one of the things that he's been pushing me and pushing our church to do is that to to lay out those steps in clear. I'm like, well, we know what it is. He says, no, you you haven't you haven't made a map. You haven't made a pathway and and to tell people the next steps. And so um, I looked on your website and, and, and I, I saw your, your pathway and I'm like, Oh man, I'm not telling Colby about this because this is exactly uh, what he says that, that we need to do. And we're in the process of working on that. I think to be honest, we have developed over the last year, an internal process that is, this is what we're doing but it's not communicating to the person who comes in. This is what, what, what we want you to do. And I think those are good. So let me just ask you a couple of questions about your, your pathway. Uh, those are. Call me, call me. We'll work okay. this thing. <laughs> but, but your steps on the, these are spiritual life stages and milestones. Do you directly connect those to a ministry in the life of the church and a response by the individual? We're working that direction. We've just called a discipleship pastor in the last month. And so okay. that, that, that's our next step internally. Uh, we are trying to just use this as common language, though. So every sermon that I preach, I'm saying, look, this is how this could be applied to your next step. And we're just constantly asking, what's your next step? And yeah. we're constantly challenging, take your next step. And they say, how? So we're trying to put together some core seminar classes where maybe once a month, we're really drilling into uh, a part of uh, spiritual formation, you know, prayer, or how do you study the Bible? Um, just focus things like memorizing scripture or witnessing and putting those in front of people. So it's just constant that it's not ever um, a destination. You know, th those steps that we've said this, it's not a linear path. They're yeah that I go back to trusting Jesus is constant. That's the first step on the path, but that's one that I've got to take every single day. And I think that one of the things, first of all, it's just, it's a lot of work. And that's part of the reason why lots of churches haven't done it and, and you're still working on it and we're on the front end of working on it. I think one of the things that I struggle with it sometimes is that we don't grow spiritually linear. D different people develop different spiritual lives. They don't come in a row. And, and so I struggle with trying to develop a system, but a system that allows room for somebody gets involved in ministry, maybe before they get involved in 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 in, in personal devotions or vice versa, or or somebody uh, is an evangelist before they get baptized. Uh, you know, I, I want there to be the, the layers, but I don't want the the different, the, the, the life stage and development, the ministry and the activity. I don't want to lock them in. Right. Although from what you're describing and, and, and to be honest, what, what Colby keeps pushing us for is, but the people in the pew need to know what the next step is. 
Yeah. And, and there has to be that distinction at some level. There, there's a generational mindset that has changed. You know, in years past, when you and I were in seminary, it was almost like the special forces were the people that would go on a mission trip. Well, now I've got high schoolers are saying, yeah, let's go. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And they may not have yet trusted Christ. Um, you got to be sensitive depending on the nature of the trip. If it's a service right, project, right. sleeves up and serve. And in that process may come to Christ. Uh, obviously, if, if there's a spiritual need for the leadership of that team, then, then that weeds out some folks. It vets itself. But we're just trying to help people to see that following Jesus is a continual movement, and there's constantly another step to take, regardless of what it is. Yes, it's not linear, but there are very distinct uh, steps along the path. Yeah, it's not linear, but it's also not concrete. I mean, it's moving. It's it's. It, it has to be moving. It has to be dynamic, uh, I think, is the word that I'm looking for there. I, I think I watched one of your services, and it happened to be the, the last Sunday of the month, and you guys were emphasizing baptism. Tell me how you do baptism at your church. Absolutely. So we do Celebration Sunday, the fourth Sunday of every month. We we take children's church off and bring them into the service, and we emphasize either baptism or uh, family dedications, those kinds of things that normally wouldn't happen. But we do that to keep it in front of our folks that constantly, every single month, we expect to have baptisms. Doesn't always happen, but we're really working that direction. Uh, we are developing this process, as I mentioned before, of helping people, guiding them through telling their story. So it's just a simple class. Um, we don't even call it a class. It's just a baptism talk. And we get together with them usually over a meal. We give them a simple guide for how to write out their story. And then we'll do a video interview. And uh, we play those before the, the baptism. Very meaningful. One of the other things that's been a hit, and this was one of those layman-driven ideas, but we created some stationery. And when somebody comes to the place where they sign up for one of the baptisms, we'll give them 10 or so of those little cards or as many as they want. And they invite yeah. and they say, hey, this is a significant thing that's going to happen in my life. And I really would love for you to be there. Maybe it's a student inviting a teacher or a coworker or an employee inviting an employer. But that's been pretty special. And, uh, and we try to obviously share the gospel clearly on those four Sundays. We do all the time as best yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah it's sort of a draw the net day because we know there are going to be some guests that are not normally in church. Okay. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, let me ask a couple other questions here. Um, what's a, what's a hard decision that your church has wrestled with in, in recent days? And, and I don't necessarily know all the need to know all the details of the hard decision, but, but I want to know what, what caused some tension Again, not ugly tension, but just tension. How, what do we do? Uh, and then how do you decide how to walk through hard decisions in a healthy spiritual way? That's really good. Um, Tim, this church, go back to kind of the history. Um, there was a period where they weren't even sure if this church would be viable. It, it made the, They made the decision to constitute separately from Temple. It had been one church and two campuses. That sets the stage for where it's come. There was a lot of, uh, of decision made at the committee level or the, the ministry team level. Over the eight years that we've been here, we've changed the language to ministry teams. And so we wanted it to be that focused. A, a budget and finance ministry team operates differently than a budget and finance committee. Yeah. 
still been a mindset of this is how we've always done it and trying to guide our people to trust pastoral leadership and not be authoritative and authoritarian, uh, but, but leading and guiding and working with, um, and there's been tension along the way. Um, you know, we, we've dealt with passages. It's easy to go to Hebrews 13, 17 and say, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them. But if you're not leading in a worthy manner, and that's not been the pattern, it can create tension. So one of the things that we did was just put together sort of an ad hoc church council, if you will. We call it our lead team. Yeah. And it's it's not a decision-making body, but it, it's the heads of several of those ministry teams, like personnel and finance and the, the head of our, the chairman of our deacons. And we get together, and I spent a lot of time with that group praying. And, and that really set the stage for when tough decisions did come that we could manage it together. And and we've, this will sound really spiritual, but we really have tried to go, let's go back to the Bible. What would the Bible guide us uh, to, to do in this circumstance or this situation? And, and while the Bible doesn't speak to every one of those circumstances specifically, it at least lays the ground rules of how we deal with things. And I think what I hear that is partly one of the ways in which you you develop that is that you're developing leaders that you have trust with and they have trust with you and there's communication across the uh, the board so that they've been talking about things. Um, you know, sometimes in a staff, in a church staff, you can have a, a mindset of silos that the youth person only talks about youth and the, the music person only talks about music. And, you know, in our church, that's not, that's not been the way it's been. However, Sometimes it can be that way in committees, and I hadn't realized that even though we were we had a really open communication in staff, we didn't have tension in terms of committees. But I'm like, man, all of these committees are intertwined, and you know what we're doing with properties is going to impact finance, and 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 the deacons need to know about this, and so just try to make sure that we didn't have silos you know, with those, with those positions has been uh, really good. And we, we've been trying to do some of those same uh, kind of uh, mindsets. What's the, uh, what's the next challenge for Hardy Street? Well, we are in kind of a unique place. Um, we, we've stabilized things. It's taken a long time. We've got a foundation. We have this discipleship pastor. We're working on those programs. Um, we are in a unique place where we need to do some physical renovation to the building, uh, and we've not had any debt from the inception of the time. We've actually saved a little money, but now it's really charting the course for where we're about to go, uh, and, and there's some really heavy and, and big decisions that are going to need to be made there. Uh, and uh, there are some folks that have been here from the beginning. There are people that grew up at Temple that have been here 60 years, and, and, and they really have nostalgia about a lot of things. Well, there are some things that we probably need to, to change. Going back to that idea of tradition, um, yeah. it's not real comfortable for someone to say, well, I got married in that chapel, and now we're going to make it a welcome center, or I, you know, we're, we're going to change that into what? And we're going to eat in that room? We've all, It's always been the parlor or whatever. I'm just throwing stuff out there. But uh, those challenges are, are real. Uh, we're also, this is interesting for us, we're working with the city. Um, we have a road, a city road that separates our building from our parking lot, and they desperately need to use our parking lot for the zoo and for a brand new water park that's being built. And so there's some connection there. They're going to hopefully close that street and deed it over to the church for some shared usage. 
and, and some of our people, you know, are, are kind of struggling through that. You mean we're we're in partnership with the the government here, and we're we're saying, yeah, we get to be a part of the revitalization <laughs> downtown Hattiesburg in a very special way. Yeah, yeah, both, and it's really cool. Um, um, let's circle back for a moment um, and talk about debt. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I've watched is that when we're trying to get out of debt, we tell our church, oh, we've got to get out of debt. Debt's really unhealthy for a church. Help us pay off this note. We're going to burn this note. We, we, we've got to get rid of debt. And the church responds. And then a period of time later, the same leadership comes and says, listen, we need to take out this loan to accomplish these ministry purposes. And I think like, wait, you told us that debt was bad for church. Which, which one is it? So there's truth in both of those. How are you guys processing that question? Sure. Well, again, we, we've we, we've spent a lot of time trying to store up during these years when we didn't have a building project or something going on. So we, we want to do as much of it as we can pay as you go. And we've tried to say, we've got these great facilities. Let's renovate as we can and, and not have to have all of a sudden with deferred maintenance, this big debt note or, or whatever else. And so I, I think it's a, a, a personal um, conviction thing with a leadership team that they would have to work through. Um, we're, we're certainly not, um, uh, we don't feel like it, it's necessarily wrong or evil to, to um, borrow money and leverage. Um, but at this stage where we are, we just don't want to tie ourselves down to the potential of, of um, detriment of ministry. And so for us, we're going to try to do as much as we possibly can without it. And then yeah. if we do make it manageable, that, that's just our own personal. Yeah, approach. sure. The, the church that I grew up in was really crippled by debt. I mean, the entire time that I paid attention in that church, the, the, all they talked about was debt and, and it, it, it overwhelmed them. And I, and I think that there was a pastoral leadership team that got out ahead of their skis and, and it, it just kind of caught up uh, to them. And so they, they dealt with that. But I also sit in meetings all the time and we say, Oh, we need to take care of such and such. Let's get a bid on that. And the bid comes in. They're like, what? Five years ago, that cost 30% less. Yeah. And I think that some of the times the, the cost if you delay it, yeah, that's right. The the cost is going to be faster than the interest. Uh, the cost is all that stuff. And so those are some of the things we don't have anything really big on the agenda right now. We we've been taking care of some things, and again, we were able to take some of it out of reserves. We were able to take care of it some uh, with our church giving. Um, but if a church is going to grow, and it's going to have expanded ministry influence, there's going to come some times where there's tension about uh, how do we how do we leverage the opportunity, the finances um, in those ways? So I, I thought it was worth just talking about because churches deal with that question. Tim, one more caveat. We've yeah. tried to really lean. Uh, we, now, we're fortunate being in a place like Hattiesburg with William and Carrie. We've got three um, bivocational staff members um, that, that are professors at William Carey, administrators, and and so they're plugged in at a high level, and and guys that really really know their craft. And but but in worship, uh, the dean of the music school leads worship yeah, here. Yeah. That that saves us, and we've tried to be wise with that and help people see that is a real biblical model. Um, that Paul the tent maker, you know, was was able to do those things and support himself, and so that helps with it. Sure, and, and we tried to have a lean mindset of ministry. 
Um, this church had a history of church planting. When I got here, there's a Chinese congregation and a Hispanic congregation meeting on campus at the same time. Really beautiful. And, and they were able to do some of that because of their mindset toward money. They said, we, we just want to make sure that we are saving and focused on potential. Um, okay. That's good. Well, Scott, I thank you for your time. I would just ask one one final thing, just thinking about Woodland Park, uh, which I don't know that you've ever been in Woodland Park. Uh, uh, but let me just think, if you were charged by the Spirit of God to write an epistle uh, to Woodland Park Baptist Church, uh, what, what would be the, the message that you would say to encourage our leaders and to challenge our leaders today? One thing and one thing only, and this has been really a life pursuit, but it would become a house of prayer. Uh, pray for your pastor. Pray for your leaders. Seek the Lord together in prayer. Dedicate time in the week for a service or a gathering where the sole purpose of that gathering is prayer. It's not Bible study or fellowship. It's praying. We have missed that in the modern church. Uh, we have missed that in our own personal lives. I know far too many pastors who are prayerless by their own admission. Uh, they're anemic in their prayer, at least. If you ask people, most are struggling in that area. They feel guilty over their prayer life. And we have access to the throne room of God. And when you boil down our faith, it's all about abiding in Christ. You know, God's plan from the beginning was to dwell with him. And I would say to the leadership at Woodland Park, be a house of prayer. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it. May the Lord bless you and bless Hardy Street uh, Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to Growing in Leadership, a podcast to help you make a difference in your church. Mm -hmm.